This week on Blue 58, the Packers are heading deeper into their offseason, and so are we. So what former Packers could be making their way back to Green Bay? We'll touch on that and how Aaron Rodgers' injury affected the Packers in a way that may not immediately be apparent. Then we'll take our first crack at this year's NFL draft and dive into the history books for a little myth-busting. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here for another week, another episode, show number 66, and a good one we have on tap for you today. Going to take our first crack at the NFL draft here in just a little bit, but before we get there, we have to talk about this week's headlines available to you at thepowersweep.com. Right off the bat, we've got a piece from good old Gary talking about a few Packers players, former Packers players, that is, hitting free agency, 14 of them, in fact. Could any of them end up back in Green Bay? I'll let you draw your own conclusions uh, about that once you read Gary's piece at thepowersweep.com, which you should. Long story short, most of these guys probably are not going to be targets for the Packers. However, I do think a couple things are interesting here. First, I think this list itself proves that by and large, with a few exceptions, and I think we can agree there have been some exceptions, by and large, the Packers, I think, have done a pretty good job at deciding when to move on from players. Some of these names on this list had pretty good years in 2017, but most of them have not done a whole lot since they left Green Bay. For instance, a name on this list, Tremont Williams, 34 years old, had a great season with the Arizona Cardinals, but what did he do prior to that? Eh, Not a whole lot, unfortunately. And uh, at 34 years old, maybe he's uh, got a couple years left in him, maybe one year, but I'd, I'd be really expecting this sort of renaissance from him at age 34. Good for him, though, that he did as well as he did. Beyond that, you've got Julius Peppers on there, who had a good year, but Eddie Lacy, not so great. John Kuhn couldn't stay healthy. Evan Smith down in Tampa wasn't super hot. Breno Giacomini. Still, uh, he's kicking around. He's a spot starter. He started 16 games for the Texans, but then again, they were the Texans, and they got their quarterback killed week in and week out. A lot of stuff like that. Just more journeyman guys who pretty much used up their the useful portions of their career in Green Bay and were not useful players at their new spots. Secondly, I think there, there are a couple guys on this list who you may want to think about. Tremont Williams does have connections to, to Mike Pettin, And, you know, at 34, like I said, he may not have a lot of time left, but if he could be a useful player, a guy who knows Petten's system uh, could be worth bringing back. Uh, Laurenti McRae, uh, he was good enough for the Packers to sign him once, then they got a seventh-round draft pick for him when they traded him. He's going to be a free agent again. He can play special teams. He's still in, I guess, what you'd probably consider his athletic prime at 27 years old. And he can provide a little bit of pass rush, too. Who knows? You need guys that can do do multiple things, especially when you're bringing in a new uh, defensive coordinator. But by and large, this list tells me that the Packers have done a pretty good job at deciding when and who to move on from when it's time to to move on from their free agents. Anyway, take a look at that. Tell us what you think. On our Facebook page, we've got a pretty lively discussion going on right now among some people who are disagreeing over uh, whether or not there are some people on this list who they would bring back. Getting some pretty healthy love for Eric Walden. I'm not sure people are adequately remembering Eric Walden's performances in Green Bay uh, during his last go-around here. But, you know, if that's your opinion, I guess you are welcome to it. 
Moving right along to headline number two, not so much a, a individual headline, but a group of headlines, our ongoing player review project. We are reviewing the performances of every player who suited up for the Packers in 2017, and it is a monumental, somewhat daunting process. There's a lot of stuff that goes into this behind the scenes. Gary does an incredible amount of work just getting uh, the preview images or the, the header images ready for this series. And if you see Gary out and about on the World Wide Web, give him a shout for his great work. It's good stuff. But uh, three that I wanted to draw your attention to since we last got together, because they, I think they are three uh, interesting and potentially a little bit difficult to evaluate players. The the players I'm talking about are Randall Cobb, Kevin King, and Justin McRae. I don't want to spend a lot of time on these because they are available for your browsing pleasure at thepowersweep.com right now. But I think uh, Cobb and King in particular are interesting because of how difficult they are to evaluate. Cobb in particular is an interesting case to me because if you just look at the numbers, it looks like he had a pretty okay year. Maybe his yards per catch were a little bit lower than you would expect, but I think for a guy who caught, uh, spent most of the year catching passes from Brett Hundley, by and large, he did a pretty good job. And there were a couple games this year where he looked like the Randall Cobb that we have been hoping for for a couple years now. But then you start to look at the salary numbers and things start to get a little bit more complicated and that clouds the entire picture. And I think that's a, something you have to take into consideration as you as you go through these evaluations. What external factors, other than the player's performance on the field, do you have to consider? Uh, I mean, Kristen Michael in 2016 was decent enough backup running back, but everything that you heard about him was how hard he was to manage uh, off the field. Not not from a like doing bad things standpoint, but just getting him to understand and learn the playbook. Uh, that goes into the stuff like this, these evaluations, the, the things that we think about. So uh, Cobb is, is a case like that. But then you've got Kevin King, who is on the field for most of the season, uh, who had some of the, the bumps and bruises that you would expect from a rookie cornerback playing at the NFL level for the first time. But on top of that, he was also hurt a lot and may have been hurt coming into the season, dealing with a shoulder issue for the variety or for the duration the almost the entire duration of the year the 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 large part of the year and uh that has to factor into the year uh your evaluation as well we ultimately concluded gary and i talking about this that king even with that injury did not meet our expectations for this year and that injuries largely kept him from meeting his potential when he was healthy and the the few weeks that he was healthy uh, it seemed like he did a pretty decent job but for much of the year, he wasn't healthy and didn't do as good of a job. So that all comes into that sort of equation, too. Then Justin McRae. I just wanted to bring McRae up, not because he was a particularly um, outstanding player this year, but mostly because I just love his story. Uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal story for Justin McRae, who joined his first NFL team as an undrafted free agent in 2014 never was on an active roster until this season when he got his shot early in the year when the Packers needed some offensive line depth very, very badly. I mean, he went from, uh, you know, working at a, a hotel and playing arena football to being a significant starter for the Packers this year, playing in 13 games, almost 600 snaps on offense, 
And with his ability apparently to line up at both guard and tackle, probably a big part of their offensive line picture going forward. Uh, I also like the McRae piece because it gives us an opportunity to talk about his uh, his reflection on New Year's Eve. Um, he ended up starting for the Packers on New Year's Eve, but he tweeted out uh, on December 31st this quote. Uh, New Year's Eve 2016, I went to work as a bellman for Westgate Resort. This year's New Year's Eve, I went to work as a starter for the Packers. My God is amazing. Just want to thank everyone who's shown any kind of support over the years. It helped keep me going. Pretty cool that he did keep going because there's a lot of stops that you can see along the way that it would be really tempting for just about anybody to give up. He stuck through it, and it looks like he's he's finally made it as an NFL player. He's at least going into another training camp with the Packers, having a pretty big opportunity uh, to make a big splash for the Packers in 2018. Good on you, Justin McRae. A lot more stories like that coming out as we work through our player review series. So be sure to check that out. And uh, like I said last week, be sure to participate in our Twitter polls for each of these pieces as they get tweeted out. Uh, We like that part of it as well. Got some good feedback there. Oh, I should mention the Randall Cobb one in particular. Uh, We have the the three possible outcomes for each of these players. Uh, Exceeded expectations, met expectations, or did not meet expectations. We concluded that Randall Cobb did not meet our expectations, but not everyone agreed with us. In fact, most people actually didn't agree with us. Only about 48% of people who responded to our Twitter poll said that he did not meet their expectations. Everyone else, 52%, said he either met or exceeded their expectations for 2017. So I guess that's what these things are for. Sometimes you see a little bit of a difference in um, in opinion there, and that's pretty interesting. Moving right along, headline number three before we dive into the draft. This is something that uh, I've been trying to figure out a way to do for a while. The hidden effects of Aaron Rodgers being injured for the Packers. Obviously, when your number one quarterback goes down, things are going to get ugly for your offense. For the vast majority of teams in the NFL, when that happens, things are going to get ugly. We've seen a a couple exceptions. Two of them were playing to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC this past weekend. But by and large, when your top quarterback goes down, you're going to have problems, especially when it's somebody like Aaron Rodgers, your two-time MVP, all-world quarterback, one of the all-time greats for the things that he can do for the Packers offense. You don't need me to tell you how good Aaron Rodgers is. Obviously, your offense is going to suffer a little bit. But what you might not anticipate is that Aaron Rodgers being on the sideline actually hurts the Packers' defense in a little bit of an unusual way. When Rodgers was on the field in 2017, opposing offenses started their drives on average at the 26.6 yard line, their own 26.6 yard line. On top of that, just four of 62 drives by opponents started in Packers territory. What that tells me is two different things, three different things. First, the Packers are scoring a lot when Aaron Rodgers is on the field and teams are you know, ending up with touchbacks or short kickoff returns after those scoring drives by the Packers. Second, if Aaron Rodgers isn't leading the Packers to a score, he's at least moving the ball down the field such that teams get pinned deep when the Packers decide to punt. Thirdly, Rodgers is not turning the ball over in Packers territory. 
because just four of those 62 opponent drives started in Packers territory while Rodgers was the quarterback for the Packers this year. That's just under 6.5%. With Brett Hundley under center, things are very, very different. The average opponent drive start is not as different as you might expect. On average, teams are starting their drives with Brett Hundley or Joe Callahan as quarterback on the 32.2 yard line, their own 32.2 yard line. That's a difference of only about 6%, but or of about 6 yards, but when you start looking at how many points get produced from each different yard line on the field, that's when things start to get interesting. According to advancedfootballanalytics.com, that just six-yard difference could result in a touchdown on that drive, being, or the chances of a touchdown on that drive being increased by about 2 to 3%. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but when you average that out over about 12 drives a game, which is what a typical team gets, or 112 drives, the duration of Hun- the Hundley's time as the starting quarterback, that tends to add up. And that's putting your defense another six yards behind the eight ball every time the opposing offense steps onto the field. That adds up over the course of the game. How many yards is that uh, over those 12 yards or 12 drives on average? About 72 yards, almost the entire distance of the field cumulatively. Those little things start to add up. On top of that, with Brett Hundley as the, the, the quarterback for the Packers, opponents started their drives in Packers territory almost one out of five times, 16.07%. 18 out of 112 opponents' drives with Brett Hundley as the Packers uh, quarterback started in Packers territory. That is the exact flip of Rodgers, or the exact 180 from Rodgers. That tells us that Hundley is turning the ball over in his own territory. When he has a chance to move the ball, he's not. And they're not scoring very much at all because uh, they're not taking those touchbacks or having those short kick returns. It's just those little things that that tend to add up a little bit. It makes me wonder how much different we would have looked at this defense if Aaron Rodgers had been out there for the entire season. You build your defense to do specific things well. And I'm not sure if the Packers would have been good at you know, playing the way that they would have played with Rodgers out there as quarterback um, if he'd been healthy. Since I think what you're trying to do if you think you're going to be up in games more often is rush the passer and cover really well. But they didn't even have the opportunity. They were behind the eight ball in so many of these different situations. And uh, I think you don't really have to look any further than, than the Baltimore Ravens game to see exactly how that played out. If you just look at the box score... It looks like a blowout. The the Packers lost 26 to nothing. It looks like, wow, the Ravens are probably just moving up and down the field at will. But not really, because uh, the Ravens had the opportunity to start, I think, three drives inside the Packers' 30-yard line or so, 30 to 35-yard line. It was completely unfair to the defense, and there wasn't really anything that you could do, that, do about that as far as preventing them from, from scoring points at that point. Uh, once you're inside about the 35, it's more or less a guaranteed field goal. You're giving up nine points already just on those three drives just because of where the opposing team gets to start on the field. How do you really evaluate a defense in that situation? It's tough, and it just goes to show the the far-reaching effects 
of Aaron Rodgers. Hey, wanted to thank you before we dive into our main topic for supporting us on Patreon. We picked up a new Patreon supporter this week, and, and we do appreciate that a whole lot. Your support on, on platforms like Patreon helps us to do uh, the things that we're doing here at the Power Sweep and Blue 58, and it really means a lot to us. Seeing those interactions and seeing people willing to step up and support us in those very meaningful, tangible ways is is very, very meaningful to me personally. Um as a creative person, I think a lot of self-doubt is, is, is natural. It's, it's natural to doubt your own creations, to wonder uh, what sort of value is this to anybody. And it, it is super, super meaningful to see people willing to support us financially, to say that, yes, we are receiving value from the things that you're doing. Please keep doing it. Uh, so don't discount your donations uh, even if, or if you're thinking about the donation and saying, ah, oh, it's just a, a dollar, how much of a difference can that really make? It makes a lot of difference. It's not just uh, giving us the, the funding mechanism to pay for the things that we're doing. You being willing to support us in that way really keeps us going, keeps me going in, in particular. It, it tells me that there are people out there who get value out of what we do and uh, want to see more of it. So thank you for doing that. And if you're on the fence about donating, please consider doing it. Patreon.com slash The Power Sweep. It's a great way to give tangible, physical, actual financial support to The Power Sweep. Helps us do more things like Blue 58, uh, some other projects that we've got going on behind the scenes, and really just helps us keep the momentum going here at Blue 58 and The Power Sweep. We've had a fantastic month in terms of traffic, and uh, we really appreciate your support in all those ways. But please, if you're on the fence or thinking about it at all, uh, don't hesitate to give uh, at Patreon. It makes a huge difference, and, and we appreciate it a lot. Let's dive into the NFL draft. I wanted to spend some time, even before we talk about the big, uh, engaging, super hypothetical, I guess in a lot of ways, topics of who the Packers are going to draft and where. We're going to get a lot of that over the next few months. We're going to do a lot of that here on this podcast and on thepowersweep.com over the next few months. That's just kind of the way things go, and it's fun, and a lot of it is is interesting. But I think a lot of it is bad, and I think that's because of the nature of football. Football, I've always said, is a game of secret knowledge, and that's alluring to people. I mean, think about it. Every play is predicated on people having a secret meeting to decide what they're going to do. Uh, they get their uh, plans relayed in, in secret, over a secret radio frequency to one person who then shares it with everybody else. Uh, playbooks are guarded like state secrets. Strategy is guarded like it's uh, uh, the codes to the U.S. nuclear arsenal. All of it is secrets. And the people who come along and say... I have the answers. I have the secret knowledge. I can tell you what's really going on. Tend to accumulate a lot of power and interest in the world of football-related media. And this is a prime time for those people. The, the people who think that they can tell you what's going on with particular prospects, what teams are thinking, who's going to end up where. This is, this is their time, and they don't have to have any kind of accountability for it at all. I mean, just look at guys like Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and anybody with the name draft analyst attached to their name who works for the big four-letter network. It's, 
it's laughable, really, because they can make predictions and it does not matter one little bit whether they're right or wrong because they've kind of convinced people that they have this meaningful knowledge. They may have something that is meaningful, but the way it's presented more often than not, I think muddies the waters and doesn't really help anybody. So let's talk a little bit about how to talk and think about the draft in a way that's actually going to help you get something out of it. Uh, five, There are three things to not do and five things to do. First and foremost, I think you have to start with mock drafts, but don't end with mock drafts. I think mock drafts are a great tool for one thing, collecting names. You start to see who people are thinking about as big-time players, who some of the names are at the top of particular position groups, and generally which schools I think you should be looking out for. On the flip side of that, they are terrible for managing expectations because you start to get this sense that, oh, this player is going to go in this range, you know, 17 to 20, something like that. And then if he goes way higher than that, it seems like it was a reach. Or if he goes way lower than that, you wonder, oh, what's wrong with this guy? I can guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is nobody in the NFL in a position of power who is reacting to those picks that way. It's only based on their boards and their own evaluation of these guys, not on what the mock draft universe is saying. Don't allow mock drafts to skew your, your expectations about certain guys. Do allow mock drafts to help you get to know who the movers and shakers are out there. Secondly, don't disregard fit, but also fit isn't everything. When I talk about fit, I mean how a guy is going to be able to be utilized by a particular team. Uh, say a team is really geared towards a power rushing attack, like the Tennessee Titans, for instance. Uh, under Mike Malarkey, they're now, for some reason, fired, former head coach. They build their offense as exotic smash mouth, which I think is just a phenomenal collection of words to describe something. I don't, I don't even, you don't even have to, just, to attach it to football. I think uh, exotic smash mouth just sounds kind of interesting in general but to run an exotic smash mouth or generally just a smash mouth sort of rushing attack in general you need a particular kind of player maybe a bigger stronger sort of running back uh, well the the Tennessee Titans certainly understood that perspective and got themselves not one but two bigger stronger running backs DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry they're both that sort of big kind of strong guy you wouldn't expect the Tennessee Titans to draft a guy like Alvin Kamara, uh, more of the small, shifty, pass-catching, slasher-type running backs, uh, fast. They, they used to call them scat-back types. I don't think they really use that terminology anymore because pretty much every back is something like that or, or has that kind of skill set in the 2017 NFL. You wouldn't expect a guy like that to end up in Tennessee, but just because you don't expect it doesn't mean you can rule all that out in particular. Just look at what the Packers did this past year with their t first two picks. I don't think Kevin King or Josh Jones are really what you would consider historical fits for the Packers, at least in terms of how they were used in college. Uh, Kevin King switched around a lot in the secondary, started as a safety, ended up a, as a corner. Just this tall, gangly-looking dude. And uh, the Packers take him at the top of the second round. Same for Josh Jones, who is more of a center fielder type safety in college. A more traditional safety. And the Packers 
wanted to use him as kind of that hybrid linebacker safety type. It's not really what you would have thought for either of those guys in terms of fit, but ultimately fit went out the window in terms of uh, the Packers thinking, or the Packers were thinking about fit differently than everybody else. Thirdly, like I said up top, beware the experts, especially the guys that are like, I've got this player as number X on my board and uh, overall and the Y rated whatever position he is. So I've got him as the number 27 player overall and the number three running back, something like that. More often than not, that is never followed with a why, an explanation as to why. Why is he ahead of certain players? Why is he behind other players? You always, always have to focus on the why. And more often than not, these analyst types are not going to give you the why. So how should you approach thinking about the draft? Well, like I said, start with those mock drafts to get some names, but generally only for the first round. Beyond that, You want to know the kind of player the Packers are looking for. And one way to do that is to look at these sort of athletic profiles that the Packers have targeted in the the past. How, How tall do they like to their players to be at a particular position? What about their three cone time? What about their, uh, 20 yard shuttle? Something about something like that. Look at, we have a database of all that information for you to look at. We'll be updating it here pretty soon with a little bit more in-depth information. It's legit, and it, it really helps you suss out those players who are um, sort of maybe in the Packers' wheelhouse. That'll become a little bit more clear as the Packers, as we head towards the Combine and Pro Days and things like that. It's a good way to, to get ahead of that and, and get an idea of what the Packers are looking at. Along those same lines, you want to think about where guys tend to get drafted in terms of their positions and how the Packers have made those decisions in the past. This past Sunday, we heard a lot about Miles Jack. He had a great game for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and his name was pretty popular among Packers fans who wanted him at the end of the first round a couple years ago. The Packers don't value inside linebackers like that, and it probably was a lot to ask for the Packers to go against type and make a, a pick for an inside linebacker at that spot. And sure enough, the Packers went more in line with what we expect from them. They drafted a big guy. You always have to get the big guys when you can. At least that's how the Packers have done things. And they drafted Kenny Clark instead. And that's turned out to be a pretty good pick for the Packers as well. You have to have those sorts of things in mind as you try to think about what the Packers may do. And you also have to consider where guys are getting drafted generally. Uh, Alvin Kamara, we talked about him earlier, was a popular mock draft pick for the Packers in the first round. But again, the Packers don't value running backs like that. And they don't think that you need to draft a running back super high to get one that you like. I mean, they only drafted Eddie Lacy because he absolutely fell into their lap way back in 2013. And they probably would have taken Monte Ball if uh, Lacy hadn't been on the board. Thirdly, fourthly, actually, when you're looking at a specific player, don't focus so much on the testing numbers. Focus instead on two things. What does he do well and what does he do poorly? Football is ultimately a game about what you can do, how you can play football, believe it or not. Not about your 40 time, your three cone time, your bench press, your your broad jump, whatever, vertical leap. It's what you can do. Find out what a particular player does really well. If there's one thing that he does better than anybody else in the draft class, that's probably still a good draft pick. But if he's got a glaring hole in his game, if he does something or if he can't do something that's generally expected out of players in his position group, 
Things are probably not going to go very well for that guy at all. For instance, Derek Sherrod, uh, injury notwithstanding, uh, I think he was considered a pretty poor, what, what they would call a bender. He was not very flexible. And as a result, he ended up having problems with anybody who had any kind of speed rush at all. He couldn't move. He couldn't get low. His height ended up being a big detriment. Uh, that was something that he did poorly that the Packers thought he could overcome and ultimately he did not overcome. So those red flags are there for a reason. Figure out what those red flags are and if they're legit. And always, 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 always ask why. Why is this analyst telling me this? What does he really know? Does he know anything? Uh, Is he just regurgitating something that he saw on Twitter? Is this something that was thrown out there by a player's agent? Is this something that can really be verified? All of those are very legitimate questions and things you need to be asking yourself uh, as you go into this sort of silly season situation where people are just going to be throwing information out there with not a lot of real verification. You know, people just asking you to take their word for it. Don't ever take anybody's word for it, uh, whether that's in football or or life, um, uh, unless it's maybe your significant other. I think by and large, you probably should take their word for it because that, that's kind of how relationships work. But Always ask why people are telling you the information that they're telling you and, and what motivations and reasons they might, may have for, for saying that. Those are my early, early thoughts about the draft. We're excited to dive into this. It's uh, one of the most fun projects that we do every year. Uh, love the coverage we did last year. Hope you did too, and I hope you'll love it this year as well. While I've got you here, I want to talk to you about something. I want to talk about narrative. Uh, we have seen a narrative, I think, grow unchallenged, Uh, in the world of the Packers, and now it's bordering on ridiculous because it's starting to creep further back into history. This narrative should be pretty familiar with you, to you, if you spent any time around the the Packers and uh, the state of things over the past couple weeks. Um, With the departure of Ted Thompson, we've seen a a resurgence of the, the Packers are wasting Aaron Rodgers' prime argument. And as a result, of people looking further back into Packers history, Brett Favre has begun to get caught up into that discussion as well, as in the Packers wasted uh, a lot of Brett Favre's prime through various decisions and whatnot. Actually, I would like to make the the alternative case that uh, the opposite is true, and Brett Favre actually wasted a good half decade of the Packers' time, perhaps more. Uh, I ran this by Gary today, and he was a little bit shocked, but I think I won him over talking about this. Look at how the Packers exited the playoffs each season from 2001 to 2007. In playoff games in that stretch, Brett Favre was downright abysmal more often than not. He threw 13 touchdowns against 16 interceptions in those games. In the losses, the elimination games, what turned out to be elimination games, he threw seven touchdowns against 15 interceptions. Twice he threw four or more interceptions uh, in, in playoff games. In 1999 and 2000, two years in which the Packers did not make the playoffs, uh, Brett Favre completed less than 58% of his passes and threw 42 touchdowns and 39 interceptions. In 2005 and 2006, two years again in which the Packers did not make the playoffs, Favre completed less than 59% of his passes and threw just 38 touchdowns and 47 interceptions. It may be true that the Packers could have done more in Brett Favre's career to get talent around him, to to get 
back to the Super Bowl after the 1997 season when they lost to the Denver Broncos. But it's also true that Brett Favre was downright abysmal a lot of the time, especially in the playoffs. When the Packers did get back to the playoffs, Brett Favre was a big reason that they left the playoffs. Favre wasted as much of the Packers' time as he wasted their time because he was so out of control that it eliminated, by and large, a lot of the Packers' chances to do anything in the playoffs. The game that will always stick in my mind is the 4th and 26th game in Philadelphia and how things ended in overtime, with Brett Favre essentially not throwing in an interception, throwing a punt to Brian Dawkins. Uh, Just an an absolutely unconscionable one that never seems to come back up uh, when you start talking about uh, Favre's playoff legacy. If Brett Favre had been 50% more under control, maybe they could have gotten back to one more Super Bowl. And maybe nobody would have ended up wasting their time at all. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry if we got a little bit takey there at the end, but it's something I do earnestly believe or at least think about. You can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com. And thank you for the wonderful traffic we've had this week. Your support is always appreciated in that respect, first and foremost. Find us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, retweet and share all of our articles with your friends. And if you'd like to reach us via email, as a few of you have done, reach out at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Your support is always appreciated, financial and otherwise. And if you would like to support us financially, you may do so at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or buy yourself a t-shirt at teespring.com. You can find the link to our store at thepowersweep.com. And as always, we do appreciate your reviews and feedback on iTunes. Leave us a review there. Helps more people find the show, apparently. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we're all trying to be. I'm John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.